0: It's already been a great day I appreciate your participation in uh, our time to recognize our new shepherds and to pray for all of our elders and their wives and just to want to ask you to continue to be in prayer uh, for them for our church um, I think we have important and significant days ahead of us as we continue to seek to reach people with the love of Jesus here in Kaufman County and beyond and so uh, I know it's going to take all of us to do that and appreciate your commitment to that process you um, since Easter Sunday, we have been looking at the story of Jesus' resurrection and the way that the event of Jesus' resurrection was really more than just a one-time event. And I've talked a lot over the last five weeks about how a lot of times Easter gets so much hype, it gets so much focus, and, and I think we forget that it's not just a one-time event. It's not just a day that we celebrate the resurrection, but that it, is, it was really the start of something. It was the thing that sort of created this ripple effect that continues on uh, to this day. So that grows away from that empty tomb that continues to influence people's lives uh, right up to this very day. And as we close this series today, we're going to look at a story from Acts chapter 3. If you want to be finding a Bible and, and turning there. Uh, But before we go to Acts 3, I want to go back really quickly to something that I, to last week, and something that I I said and remind us about that. I made this statement last week that uh, I'll have here up on the slide. We don't simply celebrate the resurrection, that we become a picture of the resurrection. And and I use the illustration uh, of a movie trailer, a movie preview. If you go to a movie theater, you sit down before the show starts and you see highlights, you see clips, three to four minute uh, videos that, that give you a picture of a, vid- of a movie that's going to be coming later. And I use that illustration to make the, the point that I think in the same way we are a preview. We are uh, of a coming attraction, of the thing that God is going to do in the future. And that we, we through our lives, we live out what we believe about the resurrection. We, we live now, would be another way to say this, we live now uh, like we imagine God wants things to be one day. And so today's story, I wanted to remind us of that, because I think today's story provides an example, I think, of what that looks like, what it looks like to become a picture of the resurrection. In Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read, and and, uh, this is what Luke writes. He says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon next slide now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called beautiful where he was put put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts when he saw peter and john about to enter he asked them for money and peter looked straight at him as john did then peter said look at us so the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them then peter said silver or gold i do not have But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so Peter and John, Luke, tells us, go up to the temple. This would have been a normal part of their routine, of their rhythm, to go at this designated time of prayer. And on their way, they see this man seated at the gate, a lame beggar. And this guy, I want you to imagine as you think about this guy, a guy that was known by the people. This was his spot, his his place that he camped out. And he calls out to people every single day asking them for money. And so he's just doing what he does every day as Peter and John walk by him and he asks them for money. But the story tells us they don't have any money. And so Peter says that. He says, we don't have any money, but I'll give you what I have, which turns out to be better than money. And he heals this guy. And we're told that instantly... His legs become strong. He gets up and he starts walking and jumping and praising God, which is what I imagine would happen if you or I had been lame our entire life and all of a sudden we had the ability to stand on our own two feet. And people start recognizing that this they know this guy from somewhere and they realize it dawns on them where they know him from. And there's a reason that that's significant we're going to talk about in just a minute, but I want to keep reading what happens next, picking up in verse 11. This is what Luke writes. He says, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, which was just an outdoor kind of open air covered part of the temple. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Peter sees the opportunity for a sermon. And he likes to preach, so he starts preaching. And this is his sermon. He says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our father, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You had disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer, Barabbas, be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. You didn't know what you were doing when you killed Jesus. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. So he says, repent then and turn to God, which is all repent means, turn to God, turn away in a different direction, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus Christ. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. And that is the title of the sermon, The Restoration of Everything. We know that we live in a broken world, right? Any amens with that? We know we live in a broken world. Everywhere you look, every day when you wake up, there is plenty to be discouraged about. There is too much hate, there is too much war, there is too much poverty, there is too much disease, there is too much suffering. And it would be easy to think in the midst of the world that we live in that maybe God doesn't care about the world, that God doesn't care about the people that are in the world. But it's, it's important that we understand that what Peter has just said is that God still loves this world and has not given up on it, that Jesus is the one that saves and heals and restores the world by saving and healing and restoring people. Jesus is the one who saves and heals and restores the world by saving and healing and restoring people. When God created the world, God said that people, you, were made in God's image, that we would bear God's image. So The way I like to think about that is if you want to know what God looks like, you have to look at the faces of the people around you at any given point. Whether they acknowledge or not that they bear God's image, they bear God's image. And you only get a picture of what God is like when you put all the faces together, all the lives together. And God's plan was always from the beginning that human beings, that you and I would be a kind of witness, that we would be witnesses within the world that we live in about the goodness of our Creator. This is what Adam and Eve's original plan was to, was to do, was to express to the people around them, to their family that would come after them, their, the generations that would follow, their lives would point to the goodness of the God that created them. And the prophets in the Old Testament, they knew this. They knew that even though things got off track very quickly, in the garden and that the whole Old Testament story tells this unfolding of just how things kind of continue to get off track and then people return back to God and then they get off track again and they return back to God. All throughout the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament prophets, they talk about this idea a lot that, that the plan was always that, that people would bear God's image and that Jesus, there would be someone that would be a day when salvation and healing and restoration would come. The prophets dreamed about a day when things would be restored. And you can, you can pick any prophet, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, any of them. And they all talk about this. The best parts of their writing, their proclamation, their prophetic word talk about this. I'm just going to give you one example in Isaiah 35. This is just a few verses that Isaiah says from Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. He says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened. He's prophesying about a day that's going to come and the ears of the deaf Be unstopped. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will appear in the desert. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. You can leave that up there just a second. The reason that this is significant is because these things don't happen. You don't go to the desert and see a stream bursting forth in the desert, in the middle of the desert. You don't see lame people walking, you don't see blind people seeing. And so Isaiah is talking about a day that is going to come in the future, but that isn't Isaiah's experience. He's pointing forward to the restoration of people, that there will be a day when people will be healed and saved and restored, and that God will restore the world by restoring and healing and saving people. In Acts 3, this is an important verse. You could I could pick a lot of examples, like I told you. But Acts 3, this is an important verse because Acts 3 is telling us that Verses like Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 have come true because Jesus is the one who restores all things. This lame man was not just healed, he was leaping like a deer. He was jumping and I know again I would do the same exact thing if I had been lame my entire life. Peter knows that the Old Testament prophets speak of this day. And now he says, we have found the one that the Old Testament prophets were speaking about all along. And his name is Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, whom God has glorified, he said. We found the one that restores all things. They don't have money to give the man, but what they do have, they give. And what they have, because of the resurrection, Is the living presence of Jesus Christ out of the tomb and living in them, and they are giving it away. They're giving it away. They're giving away as much resurrection power as they can. And as they're walking into the temple, like did you notice in verse eleven when we read a minute ago that the man was holding on to Peter and John? Luke writes, he says he was holding on to them. He's overjoyed about getting to walk into the temple, but he's holding on to them. I wonder why. why. Why might he be? holding on to them. I I think it's because he's been lame his entire life. In the Torah, the Old Testament law, Leviticus 21, prohibited anyone that was lame from going into the temple. This was his first time to walk in to the temple. He is a broken man that has now been made whole. And not only is he a broken man that has now been made whole, he's an excluded man that now is included. Before, he could go right up to the temple. He could sit at that gate called Beautiful, but he could never go through it. The law said, you're not welcome here. There's something wrong with you. But now, he's welcome because Jesus is the one who restores all things. God's presence, I've talked about this before, God's presence used to live in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, inside that innermost part of the temple, but God's temple is not in Jerusalem anymore. One generation from this story that includes this healed man, the temple will be destroyed and it will never be rebuilt again, which is significant for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is because that isn't where God lives anymore. You now, with all of your brokenness, with all of your imperfection, with all of your messiness, with all of your humanity, you are the place where Jesus takes up residence. You are the place that is now this new and eternal temple. And the thing that's beautiful about people now being the temple of God is that it, it can't be destroyed. It's not a, it's not a physical location like, like a building is. It's made out of brick, right? It's now it's made out of flesh and bones. It's made out of blood breathing, it's living, it's active, and we're carrying God's presence around everywhere we go. I want you to, this is the crowd participation part of the sermon. You know I like to do this from time to time, so wake up if you've fallen asleep on me. I want you to turn to the person next to you. I want you to look at them. I want you to say, you're broken. Go ahead. One more time, you're broken. You're imperfect, but you are the temple of God. We are the new temple of God. Thank you. We are the new temple of God, and we don't we we have a beautiful gate. But the beautiful gate's name now is Jesus Christ. It's named grace, and it doesn't say you're broken, you can't come in. You have baggage, you can't come in. It doesn't say there's something lame about you, you can't come in. You're not welcome here. No, now things are changing, because Jesus restores all things. And I want to drive this point home, church. I want you to hear what I'm about to say, the fact that Jesus lives inside of you, inside of me, I think should absolutely blow our minds. Jesus goes into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of God's people. That's a summary of the first two chapters of the book of Acts. The way I want to say this is this, the Holy Spirit is the living presence of Jesus living in you. It's the living presence of Jesus living in you. An alive Jesus in an alive you. And this is how I want you to think about the Holy Spirit. Too often we get caught up, is it God and Son and Spirit? Is it one? Is it three? Trinity? What's that word mean? We get lost in some of that, right? The Holy Spirit is the living presence of Christ in you. Jesus was in one place, in one location. He went to heaven, and now he can be in every place, in every location. God doesn't just save us. God fills our lives with presence. Not like gifts, not presence with a T-S on the end, presence with a C-E on the end. His presence. And here's the thing, I think too often, too often whenever we think about receiving the Holy Spirit... We think about it as a one-time thing, that you receive the Holy Spirit, and it's like a box that you get to check. I've received the Holy Spirit. You're filled. And then you 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 just have to kind of do your best to hold on to it and not lose the Spirit. No, that's not the way it works. In Ephesians 5, Paul even says, he talks about this idea of being filled with the Spirit. You don't just receive it one time. We're always wanting to be filled with more of God's presence. We should always be desiring, saying, God, I want more of you. More of you and less of me take over my life. We're surrendering, we're yielding, and that's what this process looks like. And over time, what happens is that the more of Christ that dwells in our hearts, it takes up more of the, the us that's in there, and we'll become more and more like Christ. It's as hard and as simple as that. We're not ever going to nail it 100%, but we are moving in a particular direction because you have God's presence alive presence, living in you. And knowing that means that this story isn't just about one man being healed, right? It's not just about Peter and John. It's not just about this lame man. This story is also about you. It's about me. It's a picture of what God is doing for the entire world, restoring you and me and people that we love and know. And part of that restoration of all things involves God using people like you and me as we pay attention on our walk through life to the people in our path. People that we live with and work with and share life with and even those that we might encounter along the road. And we do, we do what Peter and John did. All we do is give people a hand. Did you notice that? That's the way Luke Luke words this. He said he just gives him a hand. He just lifts him by the right hand. In the name of Jesus, we do our part to help people stand up and walk. And sometimes that means we do give money, actually. We, we, don't, we don't always say, silver and gold, I do not have, because sometimes we do have. And so sometimes we give because we're practicing this ancient church tradition of sharing what we have, of giving to people around us, of living generously. But we have to remember as we do that, and I think it's part of what this story tells us, there never is going to be enough money. We can, give, we can throw money at things all day. But there's never going to be enough money. What people need is someone to give them a hand. Peter and John gave this man something that was worth more than any temporary amount of money that he could have put in his pocket. We can give them friendship. We can give them welcome. We can give them respect. We can give people hope. We can give them mercy. We can give compassion. We can give love. And when we do that in the name of Jesus, simply giving what we have, and then we alert them to through giving of what we have to put their faith in Jesus Christ and that's the way it works because Jesus is the one that restores all things. Now, I brought this illustration this morning because when I first started in ministry, I, I was 23 years old, and I didn't have a plant in my office. We lived in Huntsville at the time, and the secretary at the church at that time decided I needed a plant, but I, was, I told her I did not need something that I would be, be able to kill, so she got me this fake plant, and I've kept it for all these years. When I moved here, not long after I moved here, it, it broke. It, it might have even gotten broke in the, in, the, in the move from Huntsville to Kaufman. And I was like, man, what am I going to do? And someone suggested that I just glue the pot back. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And so I've done that. And I, I brought this up here because you may or may not have been able to see it from where you're sitting, which is also kind of the point. But this pot is broken, and it has been restored And so I'm showing you this illustration, right? You could use a lot of illustrations when you remodel a house, when you restore an old car. Restored, which is the word that is used, restored does not mean the same. It means restored. If God is restoring all things, including you and me, we aren't going to be the same people that we were. We're probably still going to have some cracks and some chips, We're probably going to have some scars from the life that we've lived, but we will still be able to function as the people that God imagined. Actually, probably better. This man now has a story, right? Because he was was restored, but his story still lives on in him. He was lame, and now he gets to walk and leap like a deer. Right after this sermon, and I'm closing, I promise, the authorities arrest Peter and John. They don't like what they're saying, and they ask him, Why, by what power did you do this? By what power did you heal this man? And this is what they say. This is the last part of what they say. Then Peter, next slide. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and was being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, whom you crucified by God, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. I want to close by saying this. The mark of a resurrected person is that they have been with Jesus Christ. Peter and John aren't special. Peter and John are filled with the presence of Christ, and you are too. And Peter says, this didn't happen because of us. All I did was show kindness to a man that needed kindness. Right? We do our part. We let God work the miracle. And I realize that today some of you probably are feeling more like the man that's laying beside the road and less like Peter and John. And if that's you today, I want you to say, I want to say, look at me, first of all, like they did. And I want to say I don't have all the answers. I can't give everything. But I can promise you this from my own life, and many of you can tell the same story. I believe that Jesus restores all things. Not always in my time. Life has let me down. Had me begging on the side of the road, but Jesus has never let me down. Somebody better say amen, or I'm gonna come out of my life has let me down. We'll try it again, I'll give you a second chance had me begging on the side of the road, but Jesus has never let me down. Our job is to put our faith in Jesus, our trust in Jesus, to keep walking faithfully with Jesus Christ. I promise you that Jesus restores all things. It may not be fast, it may not be in your time, but he restores all things. And today, my hope and my prayer is that we will all remember that the resurrection is not just a one-time event, but that its power is still at work today, every day making people like you and me alive. Every day there is a potential for things in our lives to be restored, not the same as before, but restored, living as a picture of the resurrection for the world around us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you come into our lives and that you transform us by your power so that the thing people will say about us when they encounter us is, good night, those people have been with Jesus Christ. that they'll see you. I love that what they see is you and not Peter and John. I pray that that will make us feel alive today, not just going through the motions of faith and church, but believing what we've been gathered here today to celebrate. Living like we believe that the tomb is empty. Talking about it, saying it, proclaiming it through our actions and words. Maybe not explicitly saying it but but being willing to through the way we live communicate that we believe that the resurrection is still as powerful today as it was 2000 years ago. And yes, life will be hard and difficult at times, but we trust today God that you restore all things. And we are holding on to that promise, waiting for that truth to come in our lives and in the world around us. May you Give us strength and courage, like Peter and John, uh, to live out what we believe. We thank you, Father, for your love for us and that we carry your image and that you see in us goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.